0: you are a warrior what kind of people are you are the very best your nation has to offer
1: 911 oh. multiple
0: they're asking you to leave
1: five we need a bear catch
0: it's up to us so 133 i need somebody who's got a visual where the shooter is you must be sound in mind body and spirit 40 where's the officer down i have a rescue helicopter that wants to land and help
2: this is the podcast that will make you the one. Running the one that will bring everyone back.
1: Troubly, we have shot, fired, shots fired. Give
0: me back up now. Because no one else is coming. i have an officer shot. An officer shot. 100 block of
2: East Street. Suspect is down. Suspect is down. This is the squad room.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Squadron. I'm your host, Garrett Slaw, and this is a special show. This is our first live event, and you get to listen into a podcast recording that we did uh, with a live studio audience. So if this is your first time listening to the show, The Squadron is the podcast that helps you navigate the challenging terrain of our demanding careers as law enforcement professionals. Uh, I'm an active duty sergeant in Southern California for a sheriff's office, and on this show... We learn tactics and strategies for taking care of ourselves, our family, and our community. This episode was recorded live with an audience down at ProForce, and I want to thank ProForce for the, not only their hospitality and Mikey and the crew down there being so fantastic, but they're also sponsors of this show. So it's important that if you live in Southern California, you've probably already heard of ProForce or you've heard me talking about them, but if you're looking to get a new firearm, uh, to replace something uh, that's aging on your belt, make sure you hit them up. And make sure you told them that you heard about them on the show, on this show. And uh, they have great prices on, on stuff. And they're open to all first responders and security, not just law enforcement. So I've gotten rid of the, uh, the wait lines. They do appointments now. And I was down there on a, on a Saturday, and I watched uh, them work like clockwork as they got guys and gals through with their firearms purchases. And it was really cool. And if you're an agency sales rep and you're looking to retire an old firearm and pick up something new like the Peach 320, which is what I carry, or the Glock 17, or the M&P, or whatever, ProForce can certainly hook you up with a great deal there as well. Reach out to their sales department uh, at 1-800-367-5855 or email them sales at ProForceOnline.com. They'll give you a no-pressure, no-obligation quote. And they've done some of the biggest agencies in the country, so I trust me when I say that they can handle the transition of your agency to a new firearm. They do uh, agent, uh, they do uh, officer buyback programs. They they've really got it all figured out. So special thanks to Proforce for uh, hosting this event. It was a lot of fun. Terran Tactical came down. Uh, Sight Action Apparel was there. Great to finally meet Danny from Sight Action. Um, Spets uh, holsters was there. Um, fantastic group of people. Just had a great time talking with my guest today, and my guest, uh, two guests actually. There was a fir- This was a, this was my first studio audience uh, recording. It was my first uh, recording in person with two people, and also my first dispatcher is on the show, and she goes on social media as uh, at Dispatcher Kristen. Uh, Kristen and uh, Aram Cho work together, and they also have their own podcast, Nine One One Strong. That's where you can find Aram on social media. He is quite the up-and-comer. And uh, they have their own podcast, and they she co-hosts. So she joined us for this conversation. We talked about her life in and, and dispatch and how um, she tries to uh, remain healthy as a dispatcher, and she's married to an officer as well. So uh, uh, I've always wanted to have a dispatcher on and talk with a dispatcher. It's been hard to uh, find one that uh, wants to come on the air and talk which is ironic because they talk on the air all day long, now that I think about it. But anyway, Aram and Kristen were fantastic guests. They were super... Uh, uh, I really appreciate the the effort they took to get there. Um, you know, Aram is, is one of the leaders in social media for law enforcement, and that is such a double-edged sword sometimes. And we have a lot of agencies that are still very much trying to navigate that and figuring it out. And we've got old school chiefs and sheriffs that are reluctant to even engage in social media, but... I guarantee you that social media is here to stay. It's not going anywhere, and we need to accept it and adapt to it. Aram is on the cutting edge of that uh, effort to connect with his community through social media. And he just frankly posts some really funny content, uh, and, uh, and it's a cool page to follow. And you can follow him at 911strong on Instagram. Of course, in the show notes for this episode, thesquadroom.net, you'll see all the links for both of their social medias and how to reach out to them if you'd like, and links to their podcast as well. So here we are with the very first ever live event for The Squad Room, uh, a live recording at ProForce in Brea, California on September 28th of uh, 2019. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Squad Room. It's a live podcast. Thank you all for being here. appreciate everyone who's who's come out. Uh, I'll introduce my guests in just a moment, but we're here at uh, ProForce Law Enforcement down in Brea, California, who's been a great sponsor Mm -hmm. of this show for a long time. And uh, for anyone here, uh, just uh, who's in the audience, want to be careful uh, that you, uh, it's easy to go downstairs and spend a whole lot of money because there's some really good prices on on firearms, especially. Uh, But uh, they have all sorts of gear. We have uh, sight action apparel out front uh, with their cool shirts and Terran Tactical and a bunch Mm -hmm. of others. So I want to thank Pro Force for being such great uh, supporters of the efforts of our show i want to introduce my guests uh i'll do that this there's a couple firsts here today first one obviously is that i'm doing this in front of a live audience uh and um, that's not the least bit intimidating for a guy who's used (laughs) to staring at the wall uh, or a skype video while he records but here we are so that's a first this other first is uh this is a second but i have two guests today uh live and uh also my very first dispatcher on the show so we'll get to introductions here real quick uh First is Sergeant Aram Cho, who uh will is known better at, uh, on social media anyway as nine one one Strong,
1: or at nine one one Strong.
0: Uh about 20 years in law enforcement. Yep. I's 20 years uh this month. a uh, lot most of that with the municipal department in East uh LA County, but also sometime with LA County Sheriff's Department. Correct. Uh before you lateraled over. Uh uh, a man who's had several different uh, assignments throughout your career, and we'll get to some of those things. One of the most fascinating things I think about my uh, this guest, Aaron, was that uh, you had uh, intense involvement in the delivery of your fourth child, I learned, uh, doing my research on this. Uh, you delivered your fourth child from the seat of the Lincoln Navigator in a McDonald's parking lot. Close. It was a a Ford Expedition. Ford Expedition. (laughs)
1: we're we're Ford people, but uh,
0: I think the Lincoln might
1: happen one day. Well,
0: Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank Thank you. (laughs) Glad to be here. Uh, here. And uh, of course, off to your left and my left as well is your partner in crime on your new podcast, the Nine One One Strong Podcast. Again, first dispatcher I've had on the show, and Christian, thanks for being here.
2: Thank you. Uh,
0: I've had a hard time finding a dispatcher who wants to talk about the job. Actually, so
2: yeah, there's uh, not many of us.
0: yeah yeah Yeah. and and i I love what you're doing on your social media pages and trying to do outreach and thank you and basically what i see doing the same thing that i'm trying to attempt to do for um younger officers particularly Mm -hmm. you're doing for for the dispatchers
2: yeah yeah i'm trying to get our stories out there
0: yeah no it's great and so um we'll we'll touch on this a little bit more but i mentioned co-hosts of your own podcast you both now have a podcast that you host together yes so who's
1: the host and who's the co-host well, it's a team.
2: We'll call Aram the host. Let's be real. You're being very nice.
1: Yeah, we thought we'd do this thing because uh, we actually carpool. Her husband, Danny, is a corporal on my patrol team, and we've been friends for a long time. Uh, our families—it's a quite a unique thing because not only do we get along well at work, uh, but we get along well off duty. Our families, uh, as you know, maybe in law enforcement, uh, it's hard to find a family dynamic that gets that meshes well. Yeah. And when you find that, you kind of latch onto it. So it's not just the husbands that have to get along. The wives have to get along and oh, yeah. the kids have to get along. And it's quite a unique thing. I don't know why, but we found that in law enforcement. You know, you can have the wives and husband get along, but the kids fight. You can have the kids get along, but the husband don't like each other. Uh, so we have a really unique thing here. And um, so we carpool. Danny and Kristen and I carpool into work about an hour each way. And we find ourselves having such great discussions. Um, and we said, this needs to be recorded. <laughs> and um some of the stuff we talk about we we obviously can't put on a podcast but the other stuff uh, is i think is enlightening to some people that aren't intimately involved in our career fields Mm -hmm. um and it's you know it it's representative of of today's culture and society and i think not that i think what we have to say people should listen to but i think it's interesting enough that people would want to listen to it
0: how are you finding who's your audience is it people aspiring to be cops or is it other cops who just want to hear
1: yeah i think we're, we're drawing from our social media accounts mm-hmm. so yeah. both of us have larger social media accounts and we've kind of harvested a, an audience artificially i guess for the podcast we just kind of directed them over and so on social media we're able to give them a piece of our lives a minute at a time and with the podcast we're able to give them a little bit more mm-hmm. and I, I think that's what's drawing them towards the podcast is they get to see more of a an unfiltered look at what we are because we don't, none of it's scripted.
2: It's more in depth, I think. Yeah.
1: And we, yeah. we talk about subjects that expand beyond a minute. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's what people like and that's what's gravitating to them, them to the podcast.
0: It's the beauty about podcasts in general, right? You'll be able to go however long you want on whatever topic you want. And yeah. there's a podcast for anybody out there. I mean, we were talking yeah. before we started recording about how we both got into podcasts through commuting and just <laughs> kind of listening to podcasts with that forced time in the car. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think it's if you look at the trends, more people are turning towards podcasts. Um, you know, standard radio is kind of a dying thing, yeah. um, and then, you know people are wanting to move away from commercialized audio. So uh, people listen to streaming music, and it, I think people that tune into podcasts are the type of people that want to learn something at the end of the day. So um, that's what I I do. Uh, before I started my podcast, I was an avid podcast listener. And if it was something that would put a new wrinkle in my brain, that was something I was going subscribe to. Right, right, right.
0: So I want to go back to a couple different things I touched on in the intro there, but uh, you you both work for the same agency. Right? Yes. Uh, which uh, And then, Kristen, your husband is his corporal. Yes. Right. <laughs> so uh, describe for people who aren't from Los Angeles, and I won't ask you to name the city you work for, uh-huh. but... Um, size, the type, the demographic, the kind
1: of environment you're working, that kind of stuff.
2: You want to go with the demographics? <laughs> um,
1: yeah. <laughs> probably so, yeah we're, we're in the San Gabriel Valley. Our, our city and agencies considered the hub of the San Gabriel Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a rocking and rolling place in the 50s, literally. Uh, we had American Legion Stadium there that kind of put the uh, the city on the map. Yeah, um, I'm, yeah. yeah, so Art LeBeau would host his uh, weekly uh, concerts with Richie Valens and the Big Bopper and you know all the icons of the fifties. Um, so it, it's a it, it's a diverse community. There's a uh, it's multi generational. Um, it's the tenth largest out of the eighty eight cities in L A County. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. So population wise, it's huge,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: geographically, we're small. We're about ten and a half square miles. That's our geographic footprint. So you put the tenth largest community in L A County into one of the smallest geographic footprints. So it's very dense. So, what uh, is the population? It's about one hundred and thirty-five thousand. Okay. Yeah. So, and when I first started, I lateraled from the LA County Sheriff's, and when I first started, we had about one hundred mm-hmm. and sixty-five officers. And through budget cuts and attrition, and what a lot of agencies are facing today, having to do a lot more with less, we whittled down to about one hundred and twenty. Yeah. So, and and our wow. population is just getting bigger, and uh, so we're we're doing what a lot of agencies are doing right now, and right. is getting creative with our enforcement. Uh, but uh <laughs> well, you, know.
0: that, you guys are stretched thin at that number for that population. Yeah,
1: as a matter of fact, I picked up an overtime spot last night. Uh, <laughs> you worked last night. <laughs> I worked last night. Oh, yeah, uh, sort of. so yeah. So yesterday. if you fall asleep
0: into your microphone, yeah, man. no, yeah. we're good. I'm coffeeed up. <laughs> Luckily, Chick Fil
1: A was around the corner, and I was able to grab some coffee on the way in. So all right, well,
0: appreciate you being here. Oh, uh, uh, the the overtime thing is uh that's everywhere now,
1: isn't it? Yeah, it's and whether you want to work it or not, um, a lot of people don't. A lot of people think. It's there for the taking, per se, and it's not just a great thing. It's a necessity thing. A lot of agencies, including ours, have a thing called minimum staffing. Oh, yeah. and um, If you don't have minimum staffing, yeah and sadly there, should. Yeah, there yeah. are agencies that don't, yeah. and um, it's, it's surprising. But um, it's, a, it's not just an officer safety thing. It's a public safety thing. We have to have coverage out there to accommodate the needs of the public. And if we can't uh, provide the officers and the staffing that we need, it really is detrimental to the type of service we should be providing. Well, 100%. Yeah. So are you from uh, L.A.? I am. Uh, I was actually born in Seoul, Korea. My, my dad was in the service. He was in the Army. And I was born in an Army base in Seoul. And um, we did a short stint in Fort Lewis, uh, Washington. Okay. And then he, when he discharged, our home was Alhambra, California. And that's where I was born, uh, raised. Um, that's where I lived uh, up until the academy. And once I was making good money as a deputy, I moved out on my own. But I, I stayed in the San Diego Valley um,
0: for the most part. So where is a where's a a young deputy because one of the one of the greatest things about this job that i didn't get to experience was if you're young like 21 22 years old this is one of the best jobs that you can come out of and make serious money as a young person and get ahead of a lot of the problems that you have my first job was in the music industry and i was Mm -hmm. making like twenty thousand dollars a year in new york city which is basically like nothing
1: right Right. yeah so expensive out there but
0: uh, I, just, I don't know why I'm compelled to ask, but, you know, what is a, a young single guy, where do you choose to move to when you finally have that money coming out of Alhambra?
1: You know, that's rough. Uh, I think for us, uh, I I was in Pasadena a lot. Okay. Old Town Pasadena was where all the young single guys went uh, to find young single women. And uh, uh, so I, I lived in a community really close. Uh, I was probably five minutes away from Old Town Pasadena. Okay. And I lived there for think about two or three years and uh when would this have been what years uh 2000 to 2003 okay and then the only reason why i moved out was because i met my wife and uh good reason we got, got <laughs> married and uh having a roommate around was probably not a good idea for a new married couple yeah. um but uh yeah and your your uh mom or dad are they still in in la no the, uh so my, they, they both passed away i'm oh, um, sorry and uh so my mom, they were divorced when I was 18. So my dad stayed up here um, in Alhambra, but my my mom moved to where her family was in San Diego. Okay. So she she made her she actually traveled a lot after the divorce. Her first place was Lakeland, Florida. Uh, she aspired to be a pro golfer. She was a talented golfer, and back then you had to t- uh, to actually go to PGA school, and it was something that I mean it was a very difficult thing. It's like passing the bar. So mm-hmm. it, you don't necessarily just need to be a talented golfer. You have to actually hit the books pretty hard and so that eluded her uh, so she opened up a, a driving range in greenville south carolina so she did that until a hurricane came and <laughs> wiped that down and then she started all over and uh did some small businesses in san diego and did pretty well for herself you mentioned something she was a florist at some point yeah um, jobs? so uh she wanted to be a florist in korea but when my dad uh, was reassigned back to the states um, she came and, and uh, she thought, I'm just going to apply at the first place uh, I could think of. And she applied at a place called the Venice La Brea Flores. And this place was really well known in the 20s, uh, since the 20s. Uh, they even had signature wrapping paper for their stuff. So if you bought flowers in L.A., you want to invite from Venice La Brea hmm. So she came with very, actually, no references. Um, the boss wasn't even hiring but said, uh, hey, why don't you make a design, and we'll consider you for Christmas or Mother's Day. And she made something that they'd never seen before, and that was in the 80s and 90s was, was known as the Oriental Design Flowers. So because it caught this guy's eye, he hired her on the spot, and she started making these Oriental Design Flowers, and people flocked from everywhere because um, it was the only place you could get them. Mm-hmm. And then she was invited to trade shows across the country, teach other people how to do these Oriental Designs. And she saved up enough money eventually to open up her own shop in Long Beach. Uh, and after a couple of years, she found out the owner of Venice Liberia was retiring. She called and asked if it was for sale. And uh, it came full circle. She ended up buying the place that gave her her first chance um, at being a florist. Mm. And um, so that she, she did that for a few years um, up until I was about, geez, probably 17 or so. Oh, actually 18. I graduated from high school and she still had it. Um, the flower business is extremely difficult. You're living there on Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, yeah. uh, all the major holidays where you buy flowers. You're, you're living there, um, so it's kind of neat growing up in a flower shop. I guess it's not something you, you, you picture cops doing. I guess, <laughs> but uh, that was that was my unique background.
0: That was that was. I mean, you were telling me a story earlier about uh, how that shop even survived the L.A. riots.
1: Yeah. So uh, Venice Lombrea is actually in, in South Central. Yeah, it's right down the hill. Uh, from an area called Baldwin Hills which is an affluent African American community and um, so when the riots happened um, you know we were glued to the TV and we noticed it was getting really close to where my mom's shop was so um, uh, my, my dad and mom drove out there I stayed at home with my grandparents and it was next door to a, um, a, a liquor store that was also Korean owned but this the owner of the shop was adopted by black parents when he was a baby and um, so he was a member of the of the African-American community. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think people in the community realized who he was because he identified as African-American, even though at, if you're just looking at him, he looked like a Korean man. Mm-hmm. Um, but they burned his place down during the riots simply because it was Korean owned. And um, one of my mom's delivery drivers, his name is Martin. I, I think in his mind, he realized if the place burned down, he'd be out of a job. So he actually spray-painted on the windows black-owned and stood in front of the shops and prevented it from being looted and, and burnt down. And uh, that was the only reason, I think, that the place remained. Do you remember much from that time growing up and, and the, the, I the tension about, that yeah, was going Yeah, I was about 11 or 12, and I had, you know, race wasn't even a thing. You know, it, I, I don't think you're really conscious about race until maybe you're your later years maybe mm. high school or so but you when know, I was 11 and you don't really you don't really see color I guess um, and you're not aware of things people aren't really racial towards you and um, so I, I became aware of a lot of that stuff afterwards because um, there was a lot of tension between the African American community and the Korean community yeah, I remember that. in LA you know, so yeah, d- you know, and I was going to church in LA at the time and um, it was a Korean ch- Presbyterian church and um, I remember the pastors talking about safety back in the parking lots and having to hire security because mm. the Korean churches were being targeted and it, it was just a weird time but you know you don't think about things like that as an eleven year old the world is a little right. different um, but looking back at it yeah I, I've seen how much we've changed and moved along uh, but you know in the eighties we were just what twenty years removed from in a lot of segregation yeah, stuff. Right, right,
0: right. So. so mom was an entrepreneur, a florist, a, a mm-hmm. golfer. Uh, dad was in the service. What Did he stay in the service when he came no, back to the States? Uh,
1: he, I think he did a total of eight years. Uh, he, When he enlisted, it was towards the end of the Vietnam era, so he was considerate of that, uh, but he never deployed to Vietnam. Um, and uh, when he came out, he, he was also an entrepreneur. He, uh, one of the first businesses he had was a, a PIP printing franchise. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So he did copy and print and then um uh, the home video thing became a phenomenon people are renting movies so he opened up a video shop in almani um almani california which is in san Giro valley and um i remember working there you know after school and in the summers for about 11 years But mm-hmm. uh what killed that business was a blockbuster video opened up right across the street <laughs> so the little mom and pop video shop uh became no more and yeah. then uh he did a couple other things before he fell into a groove. He found a knack um, doing uh, HVAC. So he did refrigeration mm-hmm. cases and heating and air conditioning for businesses in Koreatown. Mm-hmm. And so he did that up until he retired.
0: So both hard workers, but other than dad's uh, service, do you come from law
1: enforcement family? Do you have fr- cousins no, or no, grandparents
0: my d- or anybody like that? Uh,
1: my dad and both his brothers were Army, and mm-hmm. my grandfather was Army. Um, and the only law enforcement tie is my, one of my uncles was an MP, and my grandfather was career army uh he was a cid investigator hmm. so it's law enforcement investigative branch of the army mm-hmm. um so that's what he did but now i was the first um municipal police officer in that family what
0: what drew you i always like to ask i'm always curious what drink brings people into service
1: you know uh, it was kind of my accident i always knew i was going to join the military um it it was after high school i was going to enlist but my my uncles, my dad, my grandfather, they were all enlisted, and they pleaded with me to go to college. Mm. They said, uh, if you're going to join the military, the military thing. Go um, be an officer. Go least. be an officer, right. So, you know, I, I did. I went to college, and it was, I was walking from a classroom to the Chick-fil-A at the student union.
0: I'm seeing a theme here in your life.
1: Yeah, I love Chick-fil-A. <laughs> uh, and uh, I was stopped by a sheriff's recruiter, and that's how it happened. He says, what are your plans after college? And I said, I'm going to join the Army. And he said, uh, well, what if I told you you can serve um, your community and get paid for it handsomely. I said, Well what are we talking about? I think starting pay back then was like thirty five thousand. Uh, dollars I don't know, thirty five, forty thousand and mm-hmm. to me that was a lot of money. I mean, you know, back then I was paying for college working two part time jobs. Yeah. So and that's how cheap college was. And boy, times have changed. You know, fast forward twenty years later, I couldn't even afford college off of a right. you know like four part time jobs. So um I think I saw the money. I'm like, yeah, this is what I want to do. I talked to my parents about it and they said, go for it. I I think in their heart of hearts, they didn't want me to join the military. Mm -hmm. I think they wanted me to settle down and build roots at home instead of, you know, traveling the country and, and maybe setting up roots somewhere else. No less stressful for them though. Probably. I mean, we weren't, it it was right before desert storm and all that stuff. So, um, when did that hit? Actually, no, it might've been right after. Was it 04? Yeah. So it was right before all that stuff. I, I was in college in 95, so I think we were in some sort of desert conflict. But I don't know, for whatever reason, God led me to becoming a police officer at that very moment. And yeah, I'd like to, you know, I, I hear all these people talk about how difficult it was for them, their journey. But, you know, it wasn't. <laughs>
2: it, wasn't. it wasn't for me.
1: <laughs> I literally dropped my application off, and they said, uh-huh. okay, you show up to this day, you're going to do a, uh, a physical agility test. And right afterwards, if you pass, you're going to do an interview. And after that, um, what else was there? A oh, written. All right, so yeah, not in that order. I don't. I, it's been 20 years, but yeah, um, it was all in one day. Down at the Star they, Center. Yeah, and they yeah. they farmed you in there. I remember them there being like <laughs> all three or four hundred people. <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, I did that. I did that too there. And and like I didn't expect to get to each phase, and before you know it, I did, and I went through a background process, and it just kind of happened. So. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's not a job uh, in the sense that. It's something I expected to, to quit in a few years. I knew this. I was very conscious of the fact that this was going to be a career. It just kind of took me aback that it happened so quickly. Yeah. I was ready to do it. Mm-hmm. But looking back, at being a 22-year-old kid, I was literally a kid. And they handed me a gun and gave <laughs> me arrest powers and... Um, you know, but I'm glad I had that experience with the sheriff's department because all of it was done in custody, and I think that custody environment uh, matured me, mm. and it, I did a lot of growing up in that environment. I think it does for a lot of people.
0: You know, we, yeah. my agency, we have two different classifications, so I don't, I go straight to the street. I'm oh, nice county sheriffs as well, but I go straight to the street as sworn. Mm-hmm. And We have a different classification that goes to the jail and only works the jail. Mm-hmm. So if you promote up in the jail, you stay in the jail. Same for the street. Mm. But I found that when someone is struggling on field training or early on probation, if they go to the jail for a year or two or a little bit more and get some of that uh, uh, knowledge and some maturity out seasoning, of it. And come yeah. Back, seasoning, yeah. Seasoning, yeah. They come back and they're almost always successful when they, when they do.
1: Yeah, it, you know, unfortunately I never hit the streets with the sheriff's department. I, I lateraled over and um, uh, Kristen was already a dispatcher there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think your dad was the assistant chief at the time. And, um, for what, for whatever reason, Kristen's dad really liked me a mm-hmm. lot. And, um, he, uh, he eventually became my chief and, uh, promoted me to corporal. Um, so yeah, I, when I came to El Monte, it was an immediate feeling of home because, mm-hmm. you know, coming from an agency with 7,000 employees, it's, it's hard to say it's a family because yeah. it's impossible to know everybody, but going to an agency that had like one sixty five at the time, uh, you, you did know everybody and everybody was so welcoming, mm. We were just the first batch of laterals that came over because uh, they, they like to hire traditionally homegrown people, mm-hmm. people that were explorers, cadets, work their way up, and they would send them to the academy. So, I came over with like twelve different deputies yeah. and uh, and a mixture of deputies and LAPD officers, uh, including James, is waving back there. <laughs> um, but uh, we were, you know, welcomed. Yeah. But at the same time, they told us we would never promote. Um, that we would, you know, just hey, we'll welcome you with open arms, but just know that you'll be working patrol the rest of your life because we promote homegrown boys. But I've got to say that things changed for the mm-hmm. better, uh, in my case and, and, uh, I've had a really charmed career. What are the so-
0: of sorts of things
1: that you've done? So, um, one of the first things I did was the community relations office. Um, we were having a, a rise in our Asian population, mm-hmm. a growing Asian community. And I think they wanted to put someone in the office that was representative mm-hmm. of the community. So, uh, they put me in there and I did that for a few years and, um, our community relations office was, was quite different. Most community relations office offices have one or two officers, and they're usually people recovering from injuries. Um, they're reluctant to go. But we were built, designed as a problem-oriented policing office. So there was actually 12 detectives back there. Oh, wow. And you're given the rank of detective. You're in plain clothes. You're handling everything from gang activity to narcotics. Um, oh, that's a fun gig. Yeah, it was really fun. And, um, you know, and, and you're slowly immersed, because you're not working traditional investigations, so you're slowly immersed into the process. So, it's not like I was, you know, I had to be this 27 year old trying to figure out how to be a detective. You're slowly groomed in the process. And the the thing I got out of it the most, though, is you develop relationships with people in the community. And these are the same people I was going to work with throughout the rest of my career. Um, And I still, those stakeholders were just as important back then to me as they are today. Yeah. Um, So, I think having that experience was awesome. And from there, um, I came out and became a a field training officer um, and then a corporal. And then I went to the, the traditional desk. I worked DB for a couple of years, and then I had a desire to come back out to patrol. I, I felt like I had a lot of patrol left in me, um, and I think I did another year or two before I promoted to sergeant. And I've been on patrol sergeant ever since. What's been your favorite position? I think field. I, it's going to be a tie between sergeant and field training officer. Yeah. Um, and if you think about it, they're kind of the same job for sure. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. a, just a different scope of sort of, of so one trainee. You got five or exactly. Six or yeah. 10 or whatever. And and since I am, you know. Let's see. It'll in January. It'll be three years that I've been a sergeant. But um, you know, with a smaller agency, promotions happen a lot f- uh, less frequently. So I'm still at the bottom yeah. of the barrel as far as sergeants are concerned. So I'm stuck on the weekend side, but I like that because I get new officers on my team, mm-hmm. and they're young people that I can mentor and sure. mold the way I see. Um, you know, if I if I could have mentored people uh, as an FTO, this is how I would do it just on a broader scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I I got to say having it's also fun not having to be stuck in a beat <laughs> yeah and write paper but uh uh you know having your own team is really cool it is my most fun assignment has always has been
0: and probably always will be patrol sergeant yeah right running a team for all those same reasons and and being able to and i and i'm the same way i love having uh new guys come in new guys mm-hmm. and, and, and young yeah, women too of, who want to learn or they want to go out and do stuff i'll take a good attitude and a desire to go do something over the skill set that's already in place. Yeah. 20, I'll take that almost any day of the week.
1: Yeah, you're getting yeah. you're getting them pre before they get salty.
0: <laughs> right. But it's you know it's, you have a you have the ability to have a direct impact right. on their career, but also they're gonna be your partner for the yeah. next mm-hmm. thirty years. You want I, I want that. I want to say in, yeah. in how they yeah. act or how they interact with,
1: you know I, I think you I think it, I, it's a common theme to Almost everybody I've spoken to that's gone through the ranks said sergeant was the best position in that it's also, incidentally, the hardest position to attain. So I think you have to relish those moments as a sergeant because it took you so long to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's what a lot of people have in common.
0: How do you, uh, if you had to do your own employee evaluation
1: right now as a sergeant, how, how would you rate yourself? Me? Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, am I being funny or am I being <laughs> honest? Either. Here? Um, you know, I, I still because have room. I asked this because one of the biggest... Uh,
0: Challenges as a sergeant, there's a couple. One is I found it; it could be a very lonely position, right? Uh, sure. I don't know how many sergeants you staff on any given mm-hmm. night, but for me, I might have five or six other sergeants out, but they're twenty, 20, 30 miles away. Oh, wow. So it's really just sure. you, right, yeah. for your geographic area.
1: Yeah.
0: So. Uh, but there may be internal stuff going on too, where you may not want to share th- certain things with a certain sergeant or anything else. And, and mm-hmm. when, the, when the especially if you're the senior sergeant, it all comes to you anyway. Sure. And so. Self-awareness is such a big part of being a a good leader that I'm, I don't think I was when I started as a sergeant, but now trying to constantly evaluate where I'm at and what my skill set is and what I need to improve. So that's why
1: I ask. Yeah, you know, I I receive critique well, and um, on our department we have a a lieutenant, a watch commander that covers all the shifts and if i if i make a mistake and i don't catch it i'll hear about it mm. which is great because i'm still developing three years sounds like a long time but i'm
0: yeah it's not right? it's, no
1: it's it's i'm in my infancy as far as supervision and there's a tremendous amount of responsibility that you feel because oh, yeah. you're the man you're the guy making decisions and and your whole team is kind of responsible for you and your scope of supervision not only extends to your patrol division it extends to records and dispatch and you kind of have to coordinate all these things, and it's easy to forget one component. And I get I get this from Kristen a lot: is after a critical incident, I do a really horrible job debriefing dispatch, mm-hmm. and they're pretty much in it from Before beginning we to are. end. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's shame on me for not involving them in the de- in the debrief. Um, but that that's just stuff that I'm conscious about as I go along, and I try to do a better job uh, passing on the information. But I, I would say, honest. I don't know. I'm probably average on a scale of one to five. I would give myself two and a half maybe because I still have a lot more to to, to grow. And um, I don't want to say I know everything because I, I definitely don't. Um, well,
0: i say the simple fact that you're being uh, – I think you're being hypercritical, but – the fact that you're aware and you're considering these things probably bumps that score. (laughs)
1: Okay. I'll let you, I'll let you say that. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, we, I overlap. Um, we overlap. We have a swing shift that overlaps. So Mm -hmm. at any given time, we'll have a couple sergeants out there. Yeah. Um, but what's kind of cool about the weekend side is that we've all kind of come up together. Mm -hmm. So the sergeant, I overlap with currently, we were in the community relations department together. So it's a good time when we show up together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We, um, similar boat we had no promotions for a long time especially after the recession and everything hit right and then we had a, a group of us all promoted at once and then there was another wave just after us and it was wasn't long it was probably about three years to the point where I realized, out of the six sergeants on duty over the entire county that night, the six sergeants, I'm the senior sergeant. Oh wow! I'm like, uh oh, yeah. <laughs> and we got rid of watch commanders or lieutenants positions on patrol during the recession. Oh, okay. So oh. the shift commander is now the shift's the senior sergeant. Oh wow! So that makes for uh, some interesting times. Yeah,
1: like well, that gets you hey, you're banded right now for lieutenant, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Congratulations on it. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's hard to. It's hard to think
0: forward from that because. Uh, or to like give up the idea of the sergeant job, because I like, love it so much, right. uh, to move into a rank that uh, you know has different challenges, and then you're more and more removed from being able to pull up car to car, you know, yeah. the parking lot of the bonds, and, and just chat with your
1: guys. Yeah, it's hard to finally pull the plug and say that uh, you're done with patrol, but that's essentially what happens when you become a watch commander, you're, yeah. you're, you're relegated to a desk yeah. and... And that's going to be the rest of your career. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, I, I transitioned out of patrol about a year ago and got put on a desk job. And, and yeah, going through that um, withdrawal yeah. of, of not being able to get up and around the door when all the cars are running out of the wrong right. code, you know. So we've been talking a lot, but uh, Kristen, the opposite of him
2: mm-hmm. with
0: uh, being the first generation in law enforcement, it sounds like you come from a pretty deep law enforcement family.
2: Yeah, all of my, <laughs> a lot of my relatives were officers. So my grandfather on my mom's side Um, he was an officer with Monterey Park for a while and then his son and my dad were best friends and so they went to the academy together and they both ended up working at the same department Um, my brother worked there also for a short amount of time Um, my dad's brother is a jailer there and then yeah I've been there so I started though when I was 19 well just shy I got hired when I was 18 and then just turned 19 and um, my dad just said well you want to stop working as a bagger at a grocery store and you want to make some more money. I'm like, sure, what do I have to do? And he's like, answer phones. I'm like, Psh, okay, I got it. So <laughs> Little did you know. I, little did I know. Um, but I made it through and got hired, which later on I found out he just gave me the resume as like a form of practice. He didn't think I'd actually pass and like, get it? Such a loving father. <laughs> so... Um, but I, I earned my own, and um, he didn't get involved in the hiring process or anything throughout the years that me and him were working together. He would step out of the room if anything was to come up about me or anything like that, and I appreciated it because my pride takes over and I don't want help from daddy. All so, right. Right. Um, yeah. So I started, yeah, when I was pretty young. So I'll be there 20 years also this month, first wow. October. Yeah. So all law enforcement. <laughs>
0: The dispatcher, um, that is such a—you just touched on it too—debriefing mm-hmm. and all that. But you know, I've—we're just in my county coming off a of mass casualty mm-hmm. incident with a, the conception dive boat, mm-hmm. and um, unfortunately, have been involved in several other mass casualty incidents yeah. uh, in my county. Mm-hmm. And the one thing we've learned out of that is that we have to make sure that we're checking in with dispatch too, yeah, and that. They're part of the, not only the debrief from the tactical side one what we right, yeah but uh, I don't know if you guys do it, but the, the stress debrief. We don't you know.
2: do any of it. You
0: guys don't have that?
2: No. no it's, yeah. it's,
0: it's something I would highly recommend yeah. pushing out to your department. And it's awkward. I mean, I just went through one yeah. two weeks ago after yeah. the dive boat uh, burned, right? And it's, it's awkward and uncomfortable and nobody mm-hmm. wants to be there, but at the same time, people need to be there, I think, for those mm-hmm. kinds of things, so they at least know...
2: It fills in the gaps. It fills in the gaps. That's
0: a good way to describe
2: it. Yeah. We're we're trying to push through that. Um, We went to some, me and another dispatcher and two officers went to um, a critical stress incident management Mm -hmm. training class. So we're trying to get it started slowly but surely. But Mm -hmm. then, you know, money troubles hit. So it's been put on the back burner. But yeah, I haven't been included in any debriefings at all since I've been there. So it's just something, you know, we're first to get called upon, but we're very last to be checked in on if at all. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So obviously one of the themes of the show is trying to um, take care of yourself Mm -hmm. and your own mental health and your wellness. Yeah. What are the things that you do then? If if you're kind of left to your own devices, what are the things that you've used that have helped you succeed in that?
2: Fortunately for us, I'm allowed to go use our department gym. So for me, I I had hit like a breaking point. um, Let's see about, 10 years ago and I started using the gym as a form of just de-stressing so that's that's what I would do and then now in addition to that I do a lot of breath work at the desk because sometimes we're not able to get up and leave so just taking like four deep breaths in and holding it and then releasing it really slow just to get your heart rate down and the tension down from your shoulders and neck because that's where all of us for the most part dispatchers carry it yeah yeah so
0: where did you learn that? Is any, um, or, or do you follow anyone in particular? Because there's a couple different people who do breath work that I...
2: Um, I, I go to, like... <laughs> Aaron's going to make fun of me. I go to women's masterminds class. And um, I go to different conferences around different states. It just sounds so
1: diabolical. That's why I make fun of it. <laughs> women masterminds.
2: <laughs> <laughs> We're just women with a purpose. And we build a community of support, basically. Fantastic. And um, so one of the girls there that was a speaker um it's Jen Esquire and um online she's our in instagram it's doc Jen fit and so she does physical therapy, but she's a little bit more forward thinking so wherever there's pain, she knows that there's somewhere else above that or below that that's causing that pain to go down there so mm-hmm. i had um had some troubles um just with energy and with my i guess my feelings. And, um, she was telling me just to do certain stretches and breath work because I'm always in like an escalated, um, flight or fight response mm-hmm. and I don't get that much rest. So my body's just always constantly tired from that. Mm-hmm. So with the stretching and with the breathing, it really started helping, um, in that area.
0: Yeah. That breathing I think has been, is crucial. I, I, there's different kinds of it, of course, mm-hmm. but I think what you're describing is based on what I know to be like box breathing. Yeah. You know, inhale for a count of four hold it for four mm-hmm. release it at a count of four hold
2: yeah three. and doing it from your gut and not from your chest
0: that's the key right and i, yes. I realized that um, yeah over the last year and i think it has to do somewhat with sitting and being at a desk job now but i've become a, like a chest breather and it's yes. all like short and shallow mm-hmm. and then all this tension gets built up versus trying to like yeah, breathe from yeah from belly. it sounds absurd to some it does it's thing,
2: very sure. woo-woo but it uh, works really well <laughs> it is very woo-woo but it, it does
0: work and it's I've used it even on, on my way to uh, hot calls
2: mm-hmm. when everything's
0: getting spun up and people are starting to engage on the radio and it's starting to go, look like it's going to be something that goes south just using that breathing.
2: Yeah. yeah,
0: Engage that parasympathetic parasympathetic nervous system and just like you say, slow mm-hmm. your heart rate, slow yeah. your cortisol release, all those things. Yeah. Yeah. And was there, Is there something you do uh, either on Definitely. duty or off duty? Definitely not
1: deep gut breathing because it's <laughs> dangerous for me, especially with all the broccoli I eat. You don't want to be around for that. But uh, no, You know what's funny is I, when you guys are discussing that, it's something that we instinctively do anyway during a stressful situation. I, I, so, not even being conscious about it, you kind of take a deep breath. right? And it, Maybe it's something that we practice in the academy because that's what we do for controlled shooting and stuff, but I find myself doing that uh, right before I get out of the car and I know I'm going to go into a stressful situation, maybe dealing with an angry customer or something, mm-hmm. I'll take a deep breath before I come out. Um, but no, I I kind of let things go. I, I don't hold things. I've had a lot of tragedy occur in my life, so a lot of things that people would view as stressful situations kind of just are situations yeah. that I have to deal with, but um, it's not... Uh, your past has informed your perspective on those things. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm pretty lighthearted anyway. Maybe it's yeah. from being an only child and having to make light of things to make friends growing up or whatnot or always wanting to be in the center of attention. Um, but I was clown around. As a matter of fact, in the academy, I didn't win any awards like top shot or you know honor recruit or anything. The award they gave me was class clown. And
2: it's, Shocker, yeah. And it's something
1: that was not a category. Which is probably beforehand. not the. I was saying, but uh, for the my particular class, class three hundred six, uh, they made an award for class clown, and that's just who I am as a person. I, I make light of situations, and mm-hmm. sometimes it gets me in trouble. But for the most part, I think I, I've. I've honed in on that art to make it acceptable, yeah. and not offensive. But laughter is a, is one of the best. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the yeah saying, right? definitely laughter is the best medicine. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's a universal thing. I don't care uh, what country in you're in. You know, in some countries a belch is a form of approval for a meal, where it's it's considered rude here in America. But right. in any place you go in the world, <laughs> if you laugh, it's universally accepted. Yeah. So I I think it crosses countries, that's why on social media, I think for the most part, everything is centered around at least for what I do, everything's centered around humor. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, one of the things, you've got four kids, and, Kristen, you have three?
2: Three girls, yeah. Three
0: girls, so mm-hmm. busy households, busier yeah. than mine. I have two, and that's already chaos. Uh, how has having the kids, has that changed your ability to de-stress? And I, cause I, and I don't mean that like the kids are stressful. I know they are. <laughs> but, I mean, like, you can't sometimes do the things you used to do when you were 21 and single, 22 and yeah. single, to de-stress. You have to find different, yeah. different methods. I also realize that um, with my kids, I have a direct input for how I'm handling my stress. You know, when they yeah. look back at me and think, "Yeah, Dad's being a jerk."
2: Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I yeah. go,
0: "Oh yeah, Dad is being a jerk." <laughs> has that has that played a role at all in your
2: uh, development? I think as I've gotten older, I I leave work at home. I mean, I leave work at work. I don't mm. bring it home. I mean,
0: you have a husband who's a cop, too, so
2: that's not an easy thing to do. No, I think it's just we communicate a lot while we're at work. Uh And we're just fortunate, like you said, that we're a smaller agency. So um, if I have a question about a call or anything, I get closure from the guys in the field. Mm -hmm. I, I feel comfortable with all of them to reach out if I need to, like, hey, what was up with this or whatever. So I get the closure there. If I'm frustrated about a day at work, I can call my husband and he'll understand what my frustrations are. Or when right. we're on a carpool, we can talk about whatever. And then as soon as we get out of the car, it's out. And then when I'm home, I'm I'm the wife and I'm the mom and and yeah, my kids are stressed. You know, they stress me out a lot, but um, but I try not to let what happens at work affect my kids. Mm-hmm. And I don't want them to show like to see that part of it. You know, like they know what we do. We don't really keep them too much in a bubble. But, um, yeah, they, I don't think they've ever really said, like, I'll tell them if I had a bad day or something and just, you know, like, Mm -hmm. let's stop screaming in the house. I've had a bad day of people screaming at me all day Mm -hmm. and then they're like, okay. And then they go about their business and they're fine. So, but yeah, not too much. I don't think they've really, and, and my husband either, he really doesn't bring it home. He's very lighthearted, like Mm Aram. He's just always smiling and go lucky and lets everything roll off his back. So they never really see us too stressed out. Ever? Have you
0: ever had any moments with your kids? Who some of them are in the audience right here, um, where the gravity of the job hit them, or you realize that they're Im- they're impacted by that and feeling that?
1: I don't know. My my commute's an hour and a half, yeah. So I have a lot of time to decompress, and uh, I actually do take a deep breath before I walk in. But you know, I don't know. I I think I do a pretty good job if I know I'm going to be if at an elevated stress level, avoiding a situation. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't know when I when I do finally come down to it that's when I'll I- insert myself back into the family mm-hmm. but I that's the only time I think where I kind of seclude myself because I know I'm I'm kind of a a powder keg ready to explode at the moment yeah, yeah. um
0: I was too because I remember um both of my kids but the, you know my wife is the son of a sorry, my wife is the daughter of a cop <laughs> uh and a then are two kids yeah. Um, but I remember both of my kids separately at about the same age, which was probably about five, mm-hmm. um, coming to me and seeing me on duty and then kind of you know, seeing me in uniform. And that process of registering in, in their brain, like, why does dad have to wear a bulletproof vest? Mm-hmm. And that question coming up and then having to be honest about it. Yeah. Or uh, you know, recently, again, going back to the dive boat that we just experienced, you know, the Conception dive boat disaster. And uh, my son, who's now eight, uh, was watching me. I was incident commander on the scene for the recovery of that. Right. So I was mm-hmm. very, very, very involved and, uh, was ran home one night to repack a bag to turn around and basically get ready to launch again the next morning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we come home for dinner, changing, putting some clothes into a backpack. And I saw my son off to the side. He was kind of quietly watching me. And we didn't think that he knew anything about what was going on. Just that dad's away at work and he's going to be gone for a couple of days. Uh, so really, had no idea that he was processing all this really, mm-hmm. and out of nowhere, just kind of real quietly said, "Good luck tonight, Daddy. I hope your boat doesn't burn like the other one."
2: Mm-hmm. Oh. And so it
0: was like that was like a heart wrenching moment. Yeah. Where time stopped, and I realized he was as impacted by this as I was,
2: or yeah. more even,
0: and that this thing, this thought, is going through his little eight year old head. Yeah. And then I had to spend the next. Half hour answering questions on fire safety on boats <laughs> and, and trying to reassure him that yeah. you know, my boat wasn't going to be like that, and that yeah. I wouldn't be in that situation, and and so I, I worry. To, to me, just as a parent, I'm sure both parents too. Like I constantly worry about what they're being presented with, or, or in that sense, I don't. Am, am I am I neurotic? Well,
2: no, no. I think you're right, but I, I mean, maybe our kids would probably respond the same way. Like I grew up, my dad um, was an officer in the same city I grew up in. So I very frequently would see him in uniform driving around and he would stop by the house for lunch or dinner or holidays when he was working. Yeah. So I think how your children are present and what's going on with you, that's how I was with my dad. Mm. But like for us, our kids don't see my husband or as frequently in uniform because we don't live in the cities that we work in. Yeah. So that might not be a, a constant thing in their head and or we don't watch the news at our house either. So yeah. they're not always seeing everything that's going on. Yeah. So that might be another factor that, too.
0: Yeah. That's a good one. I think the disconnect of the distance or the geographic distance is a good one. We, yeah. we don't watch the news either. We don't even have cable. I don't know. We oh, we don't, don't have know cable how my anymore. My son learned of this whole YouTube thing, other than school. Oh, all YouTube. All YouTube. Yeah. YouTube. Yeah. That's true. It's yeah. Just, it was, it was such a shock that he was so aware of that. Yeah. Probably Discussing it in school or too. school. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Obviously for us, it was big, big, big news. Yeah. So, um, I want to transition because, um, so I've been following you, Aaron, for a year or so. And in that time, uh, you've really grown into quite a social media presence. And I'm curious, because from the law, from the, from the agency perspective, at least, you know, social media can be a double edged sword. Sure. And when when an officer decides to go out and kind of put their footprint out in social media, uh, it has to be navigated very carefully, I right. imagine. Um, I am on Instagram and, and Twitter and all those, but I don't put a lot of effort into it, admittedly, um, and have actually learned from you a lot. Uh, but what was that process like, and what was the decision to, to go out there and do that?
1: Uh, the decision, well, I, I've always had the accounts. Um, I just, it was never in, intended on being an influencer account or a public account. Um, But it became – I had some some tragedy happen a few years back, and it became a healthy outlet for me. I found that if I was putting stuff out there that made other people laugh, Mm -hmm. it made me laugh. And um, it just evolved from there. It became what was meaningful to me in one way became meaningful to people in other ways. I had officers reach out to me from – agencies across the country telling me thank you for humanizing the badge showing people that we're not robots that we have senses of humor and um, and that just opened up opportunity as I grew I had nonprofits and organizations that uh, dealt with humanizing the badge um, reach out to me and involve me in their efforts and you know, it put me in touch with other people that had larger accounts and we col- collaborated and did videos and uh, we would travel the country and, and speak at different police departments and show agencies how to uh, extend community relations beyond the physical presence but through social media because mm-hmm. that's where, where we are in today's day and age. Our public is very much on social media as yeah. they are on the street. And a lot of times they'd rather communicate to an officer via social media than in the streets. They're lar- you know, Whether they're intimidated by us or just too busy to show up to a station, uh, having access to an officer – through direct message or comments mm-hmm. is kind of a luxury, you know, especially if you're an officer willing to do that. And I'm glad I'm when I was doing it, there was only a handful of us, uh, four years ago.
2: Yeah. And now round.
1: there's so many people doing it and they're yeah. doing a really good job at it yeah. that you're finding, uh, this extension of community relations present now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a very useful tool. I think it, it you're in public informations as well. And, and my major in college was, uh, communications and public relations and uh, that eventually involved uh, to an adjunct teaching position. So I'm an adjunct professor at California Baptist University, and I teach public relations and uh, I teach social media strategies. So, am um, going to take your class. Yeah, well, getting it from the <laughs> civilian side is, is, you know, gives you a different level of perspective. Right. Because as cops, we do such a good job of focusing on things that relate to our profession, mm-hmm. but sometimes you have to step outside and get the perspectives of civilians. And and sometimes teaching that subject matter to civilians gives you a, a broader perspective. So, yeah, it's it's an outside way of thinking, and I get a lot of flack from it from guys at work. You do? Yeah, I do. Yeah, <laughs> a lot actually. Um, people think I do this uh, that it's self-serving, um, and even though there's a lot of benefit to it, um, and I get to be on your show here at ProForce, you know, a place where I was a customer for a long time, and now I'm doing a show here in one of their rooms, and uh, it's come full circle. But yeah. It, are there benefits to it absolutely if you're good at it there are benefits that come along the way but the original intention and the intention and still is today is to humanize the badge is mm-hmm. to reach out to people and there's a lot of charity that comes from it um you know we try i mentioned we travel the country but we raise money for families of fallen officers uh through mm-hmm. the cannonball memorial run you know we do a non-stop drive across the country uh, i think our last run we did it in three and a half days mm-hmm. we don't it's checking any hotels no
2: stopping nope
1: we stay in the car a suburban full of officers and uh I imagine what that smells like
2: yeah we shower
1: with uh <laughs> with baby Dude wipes a lot of vests. Uh, well we, when we got into fort worth the, ch- the chief of police over there says you guys need to use our facilities asap because <laughs> we're in the same clothes for you know three yeah. four days uh, and yeah. um so you know, it's funny we're showering but putting the same stinky clothes right back on that we felt a little cleaner but I feel like we make an impact through social media, um, and I think that's why my department's as forgiving as they are. I've heard stories where agencies um, have told officers they can't be on social media. Yeah. And I'm fortunate enough that I belong to an agency where the chief supports what we do. And a couple times they've had to pull my reins back a little bit, but that's the trial and error, in you know, figuring out how to do this thing. We're pioneers in this era of cops who are censored, mm-hmm. trying to do something on social media where it'd be easier if you weren't censored. Um, sure but we're writing the book as we speak and i think by the time i'm done with all this i I think i'll i'll be able to coach people through if i if they need it but um yeah we're figuring it out as we go do you have
0: some uh kind of agreed upon rules with your chief like i imagine like we have a we have a social media policy that's actually in policy Mm -hmm. but like you know posting uniform photos or badges or stuff like that that identifies the department that's pretty that's
1: yeah, yeah I, th- I think that's pretty universal. Um,
0: I know, like like Mike the Cop or Officer Daniels. They use fake, you know, fake badges and fake uniforms
2: yeah. for, for the yeah. skits.
1: That's what we do as well. Um, it, uh, yeah, basically, the nuts and bolts of it is trying to uh, disassociate yourself from the agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause it, it's it's a safety thing too, um, for sure. Yeah, you don't want people who maybe disagree with you showing up to your office, and it, it could pose a threat. And mm-hmm. you know, our information's out there, so. It's one of those things where it, it's better for people not to know what agency you worked for. Yeah,
0: uh, you touched on it too, the officer safety thing. We mm-hmm. cops are, or anyone in law enforcement, is, is typically very secretive yeah. or private. I guess maybe a better word, but um, even Facebook accounts. Facebook is probably still the most popular social media thing with cops. It seems uh, Instagram certainly for the younger generation, but mm-hmm. uh, it's there's a natural tendency to shy away from those things in the first place and not put yourself out there or make those things public Uh, you said you've gotten some flack at work but what are some of the things the good things that have come from it from the the people that uh, you mentioned like talking and traveling and all that Mm -hmm. but on a personal level have you ever had someone come up to you recognize you from social media and just thank you or yeah, have a story like it happens that happens at Disneyland a lot at Disneyland
1: I don't yeah. know why but uh, Vegas and Disneyland seem to be the two common places where every <laughs> time we go we're, we get stopped and um, it's cool I I, I like I, I don't I wouldn't ever consider myself to be I don't know I hate to use the word celebrity but that that applies to this one but um, it starts conversations people you know I'll be in line for a ride people come up and say hey 911 strong I love what you do can we mm-hmm. take a picture and the next thing you know, the people that I'm standing in line with are like, hey, who are you? I say, no, no, no I do this thing on social media. And it opens up dialogue. And at, at the end of the day, that's kind of what this is about. It, it, if it's people that support you, it creates a positive dialogue. And mm-hmm. even if it's people that don't support you, it opens up the opportunity to tell you, hey, we're not all bad, bad. people. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the people that you view as bad, that equates to less than half of 1% of the entire law enforcement profession across the yep. country. Yep. And then, well, there's millions of you, and you, you give them some statistics at back. Then I'm like, well, actually, there's less than a million of us. There's only nine hundred thousand cops to police an entire country of three hundred and thirty-nine thousand or a million people. Mm-hmm. And so we're, in terms of the scope of authority, the the, the reach, we're a huge minority um, having to police an entire nation. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we're. I, th- I think the fact that it, we're able to open up a friendly dialogue and in an outside and a neutral environment kind of helps the cause too. And I, I open the, I am welcome to those um, uh, instances that it happens.
0: And other than your co host off to your left here, of course, who's your favorite, who are some of your favorite collaborators you've done stuff with? You were shooting videos just like a week or two ago with somebody, or at least you posted it and made it look like it was just two weeks ago.
1: Oh no, we were, yeah, we were shooting. So that, so, you know, the shooting community is kind of cool. I, you know, I, Oh. i wouldn't i meant shooting videos oh like, <laughs> i wasn't shooting for, like,
0: this whole month's been a blur um I'm
1: but uh, let's or, see, so. who
0: are some of the people you you've done stuff? Uh, like?
1: early on i had an opportunity to go to a, a social media agency in la called collab mm-hmm. and uh, they represented a lot of the early vine stars uh, like vincent marcus and uh, logan paul um uh, ross smith who's well known for shooting videos with a Marlon Webb, and these are all I guys. Feel so people. old right now. Well, yeah, may, 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 may feel <laughs> you
2: would probably. I'm really bad with names too. You yeah, probably know who they are if you Paul. saw their
1: videos. I recognize Logan Paul. No, yeah, okay. but uh, you know, being in a, a building where they're there where they're agents, I'm like, boy, am I a fish out of water? Um, but that's kind of where I got my start. I mm-hmm. started, you know, collaborations. They, yeah, collaborations. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. if you're interested in growing social media wise, one of the best ways to do it's absolutely through collaborations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because. Like, if it's a bigger account that you're collaborating with, especially you're benefiting from from it because sure. they're sharing you and a lot of their followers end up coming to you. Um, so I got fortunate in that in that aspect. You, met, you mentioned Officer Daniels; uh, he was the one that kind of gave me my big break on social media. I, I, I to this day I don't know why this video became popular, but I was in my backyard flipping burgers in the rain for my family, and I I put some patriotic music in the background saying you know, my family wanted burgers and am I going to go to McDonald's or Burger King? No, I'm going to do it the American way in the rain. And I, it just gravitated. Oscar <laughs> Daniels came across it somehow and, um, uh, he shared it to his millions of followers. And, uh, then I gained some traction that way. And the next thing you know, he invited me out to do a collab in LA, um, at the, at the collab studios. And he hooked me up with a lot of other, um, uh, influencers and just little by little, I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I think I'm growing pretty slow in in the grand scheme of things. On Instagram, I'm at like 52,000. On Facebook, I'm like at 170,000. But there are people that have done it less time than I have that are at millions of followers. Mm -hmm. Um, And I always tell Kristen and and people that are intimate in in what I do in social media that if I'm able to do what I really, really want to do and not be censored... I think I can grow faster because mm-hmm. the shock value yeah. counts for a lot of the reason why people want to call you. Yeah, But I'm pretty conservative in terms of what I put out there. Yeah. Um,
0: but think about that, though. 170,000 people. I mean, that That's
1: like filling the Rose Bowl twice over, over no, twice uh, over. Yeah, I'm, I'm not minimizing what I have at all. Uh, and I'm grateful for it. And, and what's cool is I'm it's small. It's large, which is cool, but it's small enough that I actually have communicated with almost everybody. You know, mm-hmm. People that send me messages... I try to get back to everybody. Um, it's very rare that I don't. It's because maybe they weirded me out or something because I get some weird requests. <laughs> what's, uh, but, the, what's
0: the weirdest one you've
1: gotten? Um, <sighs> geez, I don't even know if I can share it here because my, my kids are in here. But <laughs> probably sufficient. I'm enough. sure yeah. you can use your imagination. You, yeah. <laughs> you can imagine <laughs> yeah, 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 it. Yeah, yeah, probably yeah. happened. Um, and and before I really did lock down, uh, concealed where I worked, I had some stuff sent to the station that was questionable too. so are uh, people... <laughs> There's some People are videos weird out there, but especially on social media. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, yeah.
0: Kristen, uh, you're you're doing a, a similar thing.
2: Yeah, uh, but I'm a guppy in a big pond. A though. guppy in <laughs> a big pond. But
0: you're in the pond. Yeah. And uh, to me, it seems like you're really trying to help guide the other dispatchers in how yeah. to manage those things. And after 20 years, you've certainly got some tips, and you know how to do it. Yeah. What what brought you to moving into social media?
2: So social media for me was completely had nothing to do with anything I'm doing with now. I first initially started it um, solely because I started doing fitness competitions and I got sponsored. So I got, um, I would get money if I won and then they would give me a big discounts on the supplements I would take. And so they said, well, we're only going to do that if you have social media and it has to be public. So I'm like, oh, okay, fine. So I did that initially. And then, um, As it continued to grow and I left the uh, competition field, um, I started wanting to do more things about dispatchers. Because if you look online, there's very few of us that show our face. There's my friend Ryan and then um, very few that are public Mm -hmm. that show it. The rest of them are all memes you know, because we have that dark sense of humor. And if I were to share something like that, I'd be written up in a heartbeat. I can't share some of that stuff. Uh So I just wanted to give a different look at it because not a lot of people know about dispatchers or even give a thought about dispatchers you know and um i just thought that we deserve to be recognized we we aren't the ones obviously out there on the battlefield with you guys but we are inside of the center and we are the heart of the center and we get everything that comes in first and we don't always thought of as it ends you know like mm-hmm. you know when you have some type of catastrophe you're obviously your your levels of anxiety and stress are completely different than what ours are. But then once that scenario is done, you guys kind of get to de- de-escalate and go into the report writing part of it and step away from everything. With us, I mean, it could be something that you guys just went through, like a huge shooting or something, and then as soon as that call is over and you guys are there, we hang up the phone, we're still going through whatever you're going through on the radio, and we're answering other phones as it goes, and mm-hmm. we don't get a break. Yeah. So I just thought that um, I would start putting my stories out there and for the most part that's the stories that um gets the most response from all of my followers everybody for the most part um really responds to that and ha- asks a lot of questions and i get contacted a lot by um senior dispatchers and a lot of newer dispatchers that are going into it that just have a ton of questions on their mind so senior it's dispatchers cool. mm-hmm.
0: How, and what kind of questions are they coming out with like like there's they they have they're at the same sort of time in their career and they haven't
2: the same type of of the uh, the senior ones are just most more so thanking me for sharing Mm. my story because they feel the same way I do but they don't feel comfortable in sharing their story Mm -hmm. and then um, the newer dispatchers either they'll tell me um, any of the stresses that they're going through in their own centers or the new ones that are up and coming that are going through classes like um, the testing process the interview process um, what to do when they're finally hired like and you know I tell them you know, the basic stuff, take your notes, pay attention, don't socialize, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I kind of get a good spectrum of, of different dispatchers, which is kind of cool.
0: Where do you both want to take these platforms in, in the future? And, that, and now the podcast, too. But what, what if you you mentioned if you were if you would be uncensored, you could really grow. But what, what do you want that? What do you want your message to be, I guess, overall, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or the podcast? What is your what is your message?
1: Yeah, I, I think the, the theme, it's the same thing that's on the wristbands I passed around. It's, it's faith, family, and freedom. Um, I'm not afraid to say I'm a Christian out there. And I think in this job, especially with all the stresses we deal with, you have to have some sort of foundational belief system. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it's God. And then um, I also believe wholeheartedly that you have to have a healthy family life. If your family life is sullied, it translates to work. Um, so I think having a healthy family situation is, um, is healthy for your profession as well. Um, and then obviously the freedom part comes in for a lot of people have different, um, personal meanings about freedom, but for me, it's the, the fact that, you know, I, I come from an immigrant family and I'm able to do a job that, uh, a lot of people wish they could do. And, um, you know, I'm lucky enough to have said that I've done this for 20 years and, you know, God willing, I'm going to retire doing it and, Have a lot of stories to tell at the end of it so it's just me sharing stories along the way Um, when i first started out i was doing a lot of wacky things and so i think where i see this ending is uh with the launch of our podcast Uh, i I have a lot to say and um sometimes (laughs) i I, I dominate the mic but uh um you know i think the podcast is a natural progression for me i'm 42 now Mm -hmm. uh you know i'm in the process to test for lieutenant and I just can't be doing the Kiki challenge and falling out of cars anymore for laughs, uh, laughs as readily as I was able to do so I think it's that's the natural evolution for me now um, I had a good run doing some slapstick comedy um, but there's a lot of people out there do, that are younger and doing better now uh, that are really creative and they've ha- they've had a longer lease um, and uh, I'm just at the point of my my life and and the stage in my life where I think um, uh, I'm better suited behind the mic uh, mm-hmm. and then speaking candidly about subjects and answering questions and helping mentor and develop younger officers um, as opposed to trying to be that, hang on to being that young officer.
0: Yeah. So two questions and then we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll ask Chris the same two. Okay. What uh, what social media account or star would you most like to collab with? It doesn't have to be a law enforcement officer. Anyone out there?
1: Yeah, you know, I kind of uh, went googly-eyed when I saw Terran Tactical downstairs. When Taryn <laughs> came down my immediate thought was uh, Keanu Reeves and Halle Berry. Yeah, <laughs> you know I'm a big fan of the John Wick movies, and, and they had a hand in <laughs> training that I like, sure, actually yeah. full responsibility in training their their tactics and movement. And if you follow them on social media, uh, they're the real deal. Halle Berry and Keanu Reeves. Yeah, they can manipulate weapon systems like like seasoned veterans. Yeah, the better I mean, Tarant- than seasoned veterans.
0: Just to explain too for people, the Terran Tactical uh, has a has a tent downstairs at this event here that we're doing live at ProForce, and I did the same thing. I I walked up and was like, all right. I gotta ask, and I'm sure you get asked this all the time: Is is he nice? Is is kind of nice? And is he as good a shot as he looks like he is on YouTube? Oh yeah, yeah, Yeah. he's the nicest guy ever, and he's a great shot. You can't fake. (laughs) I mean,
1: when it's on, that's the beauty about social media too. When it's recorded, uh, you can't fake that stuff. You know,
0: I was wondering, like, is that his 20th time through? And he's just, it's just, you know, is it take one or take a hundred? Exactly. (laughs) No, he's he's legit. He's legit. It looks legit. So that's okay. So uh, those guys for uh, social media, but uh, what? guest for the podcast who would you if you could have anybody on would
2: you unicorn dreaming
0: Dreamin. yep
2: that's yeah sorry girl stuff. girl stuff yeah it's the biggest person you could ever think of
0: yeah that relates to your audience know, I mean,
1: you know yeah, i would I, for me personally i would love to have the president um i think he's such a polarizing figure and everybody i don't care what country and you're talking about donald trump right now and uh, whether you like him as a person mm-hmm. um, or don't like him as a person, I personally I think he's a very effective president, and I think he brings a lot of out of the box uh, methods into what he's doing. And everything he does is intentional. Even the the gaffes that he does on Twitter, mm-hmm. I I wholeheart being a public relations guy, I wholeheartedly believe it's all intentional, mm-hmm. and there's a method behind what he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's to stir up. Controversy, because you know, in public, in the public relations world, bad controversy, good controversy.
0: There's yet. no such thing as bad public right, relations, yeah, right? Exactly, or bad, bad media, bad coverage. Yeah,
1: and if you take him back, uh, back to the 20s, and when, when the early pioneers of public relations were emerging, he's doing exactly. He's going back to the fundamentals, and he's doing it from such a large platform. Um, it's just the public relations geek in me personally would would like to to meet him and just pick his brain.
0: <laughs> Interesting answer, <laughs> Kristen. How about you? Who would you want to have on the show?
2: I don't know. I mean crazy thing I guess because we do touch on health and fitness, so I would love to have The Rock on.
0: <laughs> I was actually thinking that as yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, it'd be cool to have him. I mean, I'm I'm more like a celebrity person, so I also like um like Chris Pratt because I know he supports <laughs> law enforcement too.
0: He's very very pro law. Yeah, so that would
2: be yeah, his brother's the oh, officer. No, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that'd be kinda cool to have him on too. And then uh, as far as the podcast goes, I mean, um, it would be cool, too, to take ours on the road a little bit. And mm-hmm. I have a bus, so I wanted to take our my bus out and use that as, like, our recording A mobile area. recording studio. Yeah, yeah. So that would be kind of cool to do that.
0: That would be very cool. Yeah. Where can people find out more about both of you and your social media accounts and also then the podcast? Direct them direct them to, to
2: So the podcast is on... Uh, we only have an Instagram account for the podcast, so that's it. Um, the 911... I'm sorry, the underscore. 911strong underscore podcast. And then I'm on primarily only on Instagram as well, under Dispatcher Kristen. And then we all know Aaron. <laughs> or do we? <laughs> I mean,
1: where where they do wanna, they find yeah, you? Yeah, if they want to listen to the podcast, um, they're on YouTube. Hmm. We're on YouTube. We have a, a, a video portion of it, but we're also on Spotify, Google Play, uh, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Hmm. And um, for me, if you want to follow me on social media, it's 911strong. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube,
2: Twitter? Twitter? Yeah, I don't
1: really mess with Twitter. I I haven't figured out Twitter. Uh, But I am really enjoying TikTok. I just started TikTok. uh, And uh, (laughs) as much as I resisted going on there, uh, and I wish I was earlier to the game, but I personally believe TikTok is going to be the next Instagram. I think Mm. what Instagram did to Facebook, TikTok's going to do to Instagram. Um, And it's funny because I've immersed myself into an audience world where it's largely 8 to 16-year-olds that dominate that market. Mm -hmm. on tiktok but in about five to ten years those uh 10 to 16 year olds will be the young adults that are on instagram today Mm -hmm. so it's important if you're looking to start on social media and you want to be a big player in in the influencer world i would say tiktok is a neutral playing ground right now where you can absolutely make that mark and and get to there in about two or three years it's funny we're the same age Mm -hmm.
0: and um i uh this is only like the second time I've heard of TikTok, and it was well, the first time was only because one of my millennial officers mm-hmm. was showing me and showing me his.
2: Uh... I thought you were going to say your kids were on it. <laughs> no,
0: not quite. yet. My kids are on it. Not quite yet. Mine's still a little young. <laughs> well, thank you both for being here. Uh, uh, we'll you. put show notes and we'll put all the links to everything that you talked about here. Uh, we'll put those into the show notes. So if someone's driving or unavailable to to check it out at the moment, they can go to thesquadroom.net find this episode and then uh, all the links will be there as well so awesome. thanks for being here thanks for taking yeah. part in this experiment Hopefully. of a live Thank podcast you. event here at, at pro force so uh, best of luck to both of you and as you continue to grow i think the message you send the humor uh is is absolutely important that is i 100 percent agree with you that um the way to reach people who may otherwise dislike us is through humor it's, we're not going to convince them uh to come with us any other means or other than connection with that commonality that one common denominator in all Mm -hmm. humans is is laughter and humor right absolutely thank you both for being here thanks for having having us. us